Good morning and welcome to the Ag Now Roundup. My name is Dave Deacon. Cotton production in the United States holds a deep historical, economic, and cultural significance, shaping the nation's landscape for centuries. The 2023 crop is nearing harvest across much of the southern part of the United States, so we're taking a look at how one of the most exported commodities has fared this year. We're talking with Jackson County, Oklahoma cotton producer, Matt Muller, and Texas A&M AgriLife Extension cotton specialist, Dr. Jordan Bell, in just a few minutes. But first, let's take a look at the weather across the cotton belt and the rest of the United States with meteorologist, Matt Makins. Getting to the AgNow Weather Report, meteorologist Matt Makins here. Cotton is the focus of today's program, and we've got the cotton areas highlighted here. I'm going to overlay the drought footprint on top of those cotton production counties, and you can see the vast majority have been battling that drought from La Nina over the last couple of years. This transition into El Nino, not a moisture-favored region is that cotton area. So what's going to happen over the next couple of weeks? Well, we're going to see a lot of water in some cases, a lot of water. Some tropical storm activity, hurricane activity in the Pacific has left a lot of moisture sitting there. And then we've had a recent tropical storm that's grabbing a lot of that water over the tropics and sending it right through the central U.S. So there's going to be some changes afoot. And here's that precipitation map on the way for the next week. You can see that swath of moisture, a river of that tropical flow, if you will, coming right through the central U.S. And that's going to deliver a lot of water to corn production areas, cotton production areas, hay areas, areas, good for pastures and stock water throughout Oklahoma and Texas. But as we zoom this map in, I'm going to point out some of these colors. See these deeper reds that then bump into the oranges? And that's around San Angelo and Abilene up toward Oklahoma City and Stillwater. That's going to be from three to five inches of total rainfall on the way for the next week or so. You can see where that line is, is, is actually quite narrow from a broad perspective. As you get into the panhandle of Texas, uh, into sections of the panhandle of the Oklahoma, the, the chance for water really decreases very, very rapidly. But as you go from Amarillo to, say, Lawton, you're going to see a quick transition into that wetter zone, if you will. So a lot of rain is on the way over the coming days throughout the cotton production areas. This is going to be great for cattle producers here, though. They need a lot of stock water. Got to get those pastures healthy again. Perhaps too much water, depending on the case, however. Here's a look at the freeze possibilities coming with this system. That plume of moisture sits in here, and then we're going to drive in some colder air, driving that in, colliding with those rain showers. So are you likely to freeze over the next 10 days? Well, the likelihood is you hit those yellows, oranges, and the reds, yeah, that's, you're going to freeze. But down here to the south, from Oklahoma to Texas, right around the Panhandle, and parts of the Panhandle of Oklahoma also, you start to see your probabilities of hitting freezing right around a 50-50 chance, slightly greater. So something to watch out for is the potential first freeze of the season for these areas down in the southern plains. With that combination, the moisture and that cold potential, who's likely to have some snow? Doesn't quite reach most of the panhandle of Texas. Starts to clip the panhandle of Oklahoma though, so we may see some snowfall on the way over the next 10 days. Most of that's gonna be Northern Plains, but for the Central and Southern Plains, some areas, in addition to their potential first freeze, may potentially see their first few snowflakes. Something to check for. Make sure you grab your National Weather Service local forecast for those specific details for your zip code. But that's the bottom line here, is that we have a lot of water on the way. 
a drought impact. So in some cases, perhaps too much water too suddenly. In other cases, much needed reprieve. That's this week's Ag Now Weather Report. Matt Makins here. Blessings to you and yours. Well, thank you very much, Matt. Over the years, cotton production practices have evolved to becoming more sustainable and technologically advanced, making the United States a global leader in the cotton industry. Cotton remains an important cash crop, supporting millions of jobs in communities of all sizes and contributing significantly to the nation's exports. Now, with all of that said, planted acres are down to near 2016 levels and the price has hovered between 80 to 90 cents a pound since the crop was planted. And of course, we all know that you can't grow a crop without moisture. And that's one situation that cotton producers across the Southwest have faced, including Jackson County, Oklahoma's Matt Muller. Matt, thanks for going on with us this morning. Uh, how, how is the crop across your area? Um, it started off looking good. Uh, we had we had challenges getting stands with hailstorms and uh, one heavy rainfall event in isolated areas, but uh, we got off to a very good start and operating on the potential with El Nino bringing moisture in to break the drought. Uh, we were very optimistic early on, but as the summer wore on and the temperatures continued to climb and stay high and the rain never showed up uh, we just were on a slow burn from about mid-july on and so now m most all the cotton in the area has failed uh, if it didn't fail it is salvage operation barely covering harvest cost for the most part unless you were an isolated pocket that got a pop-up shower too then it then it might be a, a tick above that but it, it's a very bad crop following last year's bad crop. How many acres did you wind up planting? Uh, our family ended up planting a little over 4,000 acres. And and you're probably not going to be able to harvest much of any of it? We will, we're gonna maybe harvest half of it uh, because like I said, it's the yield potential that's out there is, we hate to leave that behind in the field, but the cost to go harvest that is about exactly what's out there so we're we're debating on how to efficiently if possible scavenge off what's left out there there's not much out there as the growing season was going along were you seeing much insect or disease pressure in the plants uh disease pressure was light because it was a dry year it was not conducive environment for you know we didn't have moisture to spread disease uh insect pressure um it was fair i mean we had some thrips pressure early on uh, not bad uh we did have some flea hopper pressure a lot of people a lot of people experienced a very bad year last year and was prepared for another year and therefore controlling insects was not their top concern uh and personally we probably stuck with our optimism for a good crop longer than a lot of people and so we we put a fair amount of input on and pulling insects in hopes that the waterfall was going to show up but never did uh the, the, we did have two farms that had some well water 
And uh, in the fall, stink bug pressure started coming up. It's it's a growing concern. The amount of stink bug pressure we're starting to see in the fall fall of the year and it's not up anymore. Whenever it comes to uh, rotating your land, you're 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 in the process actually right now of of, of planting wheat and rye. What just just to keep the soil together, just right ahead of a, another potential rain. I. I I know there's there's the a guarded optimism whenever it comes to forecasting weather, but um, moving forward, will, will you will you bring back cotton into those fields again this next year? Yes. Now some of it we have a we do have a set rotation on some of our non-irrigated farms where you know about a third of our acres any one given year will rotate to grain sorghum or milo. Uh, but then in between, if we're not going to a grain sorghum rotation. Yeah, we will always we always incorporate a wheat or rye or oats cover uh, off season in the winter months for soil health and erosion control. What lessons have you learned from the twenty three crop, uh, and 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 even before that, that you're going to carry on into the twenty four crop? So basically, we've. Uh, let me give you some perspective. I grew up in the eighties and nineties. And so either farmers in this area experienced that either in the prime of their career or as they were growing up. And that shaped what they thought normal was. The 1980s and 90s were a super cycle as far as wetness. We experienced normal rainfall throughout that 20-year period pretty consistently. And we thought that was normal. Now we're normal, back to the life uh, things my grandfather and great grandfather experienced, and we we live right on the verge. You know, if you go every ten miles, you go east, the rain rapidly picks up on an average, and it off rapidly going west, and is shifting around. But anyway, we have learned because in the last twelve years, half the time crops because of lack of rainfall, and that is and that is not sustainable. Uh, so one, we have got to have fields covered with to protect knowing the crop we plant may not protect much. We have shifted source inputs to time, last minute, trigger seeing crop nutrient insect control because we, we can't afford to front load everything anymore because the risk of failure has become so great. So we've shifted a lot of the burden to getting our crop inputs in season as long as we which also means we have a lot of very narrow windows to hit that. So it's a challenge trying to, to accomplish that and have the resources lined up to hit those windows. Well, Matt, thanks for going on with us to talk about the 23 crop, and and here's here's hoping that you get the uh, the rain forecasted for this week, and and it helps recharge the land. Uh, thank you very much. We are anticipating it. Uh, we've been praying and asking for it, and I hope it I hope it shows up this week. Now we hop to the other side of the 100th parallel with Dr. Jordan Bell with Texas A&M AgriLife Extension. And Dr. Bell, 
How has the, uh, the, the Texas cotton crop looked this year? So it has just been an extreme season for the Texas High Plains cotton crop. You know, we started in May and June coming out of this uh, winter drought, very dry conditions, and all of a sudden we received anywhere from 11 to 20 inches of rain across the Texas High Plains. And as we look at that rainfall, you know, it was a blessing because we filled a lot of soil moisture profiles. But then again, when we receive, you know, that much rain, we also wind up with a lot of runoff and rain in playas, regardless of tillage practices and soil management practices. But as we look at those rainfall events, they also came with cool conditions. So much of the cotton that was planned, especially as we focus on like the Panhandle and Amarillo North, um, that cotton wasn't even planted. We are actually down several hundred thousand acres north of Amarillo. And then as we moved into June, um, it started to warm up, which was great. We had really excellent stands. And with every rainfall event that came, we had a hailstorm. And so it was just really hard to see so many fields hailed out. So we lost a lot of cotton early this year just because it was either too wet to plant or it was hailed out. And so as we look at the difference between the 2022 crop and the 2023 crop, um, you know, we just have really reduced production potential in this region. And of course that hurts at the farm level, but we know that's really gonna hurt our gins and just the industry that supports um, cotton production in this region as well. Moving south from Amarillo, we really had um, an opportunity to, uh, I guess, because it, we, we are able to capture more growing degree days down a little farther south than we get to the Lubbock area. Um, a lot of that cotton was still planted later. Producers can still plant later down in that area. And so it became um, really favorable early on. But then when we hit July and into early August, it was extremely hot. We were looking at periods of you know, 105 degrees plus for days on end. And of course, the winds that came with that really drove the crop water demand. And we wound up with a lot of squares that dropped during that early square period. And so that resulted in a reduced yield potential. And um, it's been really hard to see a lot of producers who had very good stands early on just south of Amarillo because of ideal planting conditions have failed their crops because of um, bowl numbers. And they just don't have the yield potential out there because of the heat and the lack of rain moving into the summer. So it's been just a season of extreme conditions. And, and now as we look at irrigated cotton, there's some really nice irrigated cotton out there. How much is the, uh, the, the, the lack of the moisture from the aquifers, how, how is that impacting this crop and then future crops? Oh gosh, and you know, that's just been significant. And when we move west of the 100th parallel that you talk about, we know that water is our most limiting factor. And as we um, have seen the Ogallala decline, producers have very quickly adapted their production practices. And that's one of the reasons we saw cotton expand very rapidly in this production region north of Amarillo and into the Oklahoma Panhandle. 
Um, we no longer had the irrigation capacity for corn production. And so cotton has allowed producers to extend those well capacities and plant reduced corn acres. And then with more heat and drought tolerant crops like cotton, they can um, irrigate those less and concentrate more irrigation on maybe some corn that might be there. So cotton's been extremely important in this region to extend the life of our aquifer. But in recent years, what we're seeing a competition for also is forage. And that's something that we've always had the beef cattle industry in this region and always had a really big demand for um, annual forages and especially silage crops. But as the dairy industry has expanded, we have seen that demand just skyrocket. And of course, when we talk about the dairy industry, they're looking at a totally different um, forage, well, I shouldn't say totally different, but the, the demand, the quantity of forage that is needed is greater per animal, as well as often the quality. They're not just looking for a roughage. They, they really want a higher quality forage. And so we're seeing even some acres that have been in our grain crops or even in cotton shift to silage crops because those contracts are really strong. And that becomes an important consideration for producers. It is extremely expensive to produce a cotton crop as we look at increasing seed costs, just the inputs in, in season. And so producers have really stepped back and weighed the cost of production. And of course, they're always looking for where the greatest return is. But um, cotton, you know, still is a great crop for this region. And we have newer, earlier, maturing varieties that are very well adapted and have a really high yield potential. You know, 20 years ago, we wouldn't see producers north of Amarillo making four bale or more cotton. And today under our optimum conditions and with good irrigation management, we can see that happen. And so I think cotton is a really important crop for this region, and especially to help extend the life of the aquifer and the viability of farms um, moving forward. You actually answered my question about uh, about the technologies because you're right, there has been uh, major advances in, in crop technologies as far as seed treatments, as far as varieties, and then also just systems as a whole whenever whenever we look at the cotton crop. Moving forward, do we see any any advances in that uh, in that arena as far as uh, cotton systems? Um, yeah, definitely. Of course, the herbicide technology that you speak of is really been key and really allowed producers to incorporate, I think, cotton into um, grain systems much more easily. And of course, BASF, their new technology, I think is going to even um, be a, another game changer. One of the unique things about cotton as we move north of Amarillo is that sometimes we don't have the insect pressure that uh, cotton producers in southern parts of Texas might have um, or even in other cotton states. And so that has really been beneficial. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Jordan Bell with Texas A&M AgriLife Extension for going on with us to talk about the northern Texas uh, cotton crop. Yeah, well, thanks so much for having me. And of course, thank you for watching this episode of the Ag Now Roundup. If there's something on the show that you'd like to learn more about, visit our website, agnowtv.com. 
check out our social media accounts link there. And of course, you can sign up for the email. From our farm to your farm, I'm Dave Deacon for Ag Now.